Dominic McGregor, thank you so much for hopping on today. We really, really appreciate it. Um, how are you doing today? Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, it's been a, been a been one of those weeks where things are, things seem to go your way. And yeah, it's been a good week. So I'm all good today. Um, yeah, really good. Oh, spot on. So I, I must share a story. I went to go watch a, a movie on Valentine's Day, a brilliant <laughs> movie called What's Love Got to Do With It? And imagine my surprise when I see Lily James's character looking into her phone um, and then a man pops up and I go, I recognize this man. And then Emma Thompson's character comes in and, and comments on it. Um, and that man was yourself. Could you tell me how that came about? Yes, this, this has been one of my favorite stories ever. And it's probably the thing I've done in my life where I've got the most messages because people just, you know, it blows people's minds when they're like, that. they just don't expect to see it. So, um, I, I have a thing for Lily James. Yeah, that, that is very clear. You know, that, that is what drove this. And my, my fiance knows this and she's very understanding of that. And her best friend, one of her, one of her bridesmaids, is a producer who works in the film industry. So we were getting wound up about, oh, yeah, she's working with Lily James. You know, how jealous are you, Dom, kind of thing. And she said, um, okay, we, we've got a scene where we need Lily to flip through a dating app. I was like, so can you send us some headshots? And um, she got headshots from like her boyfriend, his boyfriend's friends, loads, loads of headshots went in. And I sent mine in just as like, go on then. Thought nothing of it. And then maybe about six months later, the phone rings and my fiance picks up the phone and she just starts laughing. I'm like, what's gone on? What's happened? And they're literally giggling, just saying, not only have I made the film, but I'm in the trailer. And I'm like, what? So, they get the video, they show me the trailer, and I'm like, this is absolutely hilarious. This, this is so funny. And then since then on, I've had probably two, three, four messages a week of people saying, um, is this you? Do they know they're using your image? And uh, first time I was like, yeah, it's me. And then after a while, I kind of got a bit confident. I was like, oh my God, no, I had no idea. I'm going to sue them right now. A lawsuit coming in. Um, but yeah, that, that's how that happened. So yeah. Um, I threw my name into the hat for a reason because I fancied Lily James, my fiance put me forward and, you know, fast forward a bit later, I'm actually in the trailer and it's it's a proper mugshot mug of me right in the face, isn't it? It, it worked out all right. I even like the uh, the little grinder uh, reference there too, just as a bit of a joke. No, it was it was it, it was a really really interesting thing to see. So that's why I had to bring that up. But you know, if if I just um, went back and and met a young Dominic McGregor and kind of said to him, just to let you know, in the future you will drop out of university. In the future you will build a company with over seven hundred staff and revenues hitting two hundred million dollars, and you you'll sell your company at the age of twenty seven. What what would a young Dominic McGregor say to that? Um, I think he'd be very blase. I think he he was he is well, I was a very uh, laid back individual, and I really didn't give him much much thought to the future. So I really wasn't kind of like set out on a, an agenda on a on a path, and I was very much just open to the idea. So I, I probably would be like, "Oh, that's cool," you know. It, it was pro it was always something where, yeah, I just never really kind of got anxious about the future. I looked to what I wanted to do, and I, I never was kind of this person who's out to go and achieve these three, three things while they're 30, I was just trying to kind of just living. So I don't think I'd be too bothered. I'd be kind of like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, what else am I doing? You know, um, I had Liverpool in the league, yeah, that kind of thing. Well, even that news, I'm sure young Dominic McGregor will be very happy about. You know, oh, I'd be happy about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, that would probably be more happiness. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, uh, yeah I, don't, I, don't, I, I think it's a really strange one. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't the kid at school telling sweets. I wasn't kind of like, 
I'm going to start a business. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That, that was that, that wasn't me. I was kind of very much living the moment, um, and what will be will be. So um, yeah, it's it's it's. It, I don't know how I'd react. I'd probably just like say be quite blase. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so if we if we could just have in your own words just a, a quick overview. I know obviously you've had you know, even though you are still young, you've had quite a prolific career already. Could you just give us a quick overview of kind of your, your career to this point? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we've got this in because I'm, I'm in two months time, I'm 30. So I'm uh, I'm creeping towards a, 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 the next milestone. So for me, yeah, um, went to, as you say, went to university, dropped out. Um, and I dropped out because I was, at the time I was running a, a Twitter account called Student Problems. And this was back in 2013. So this is 10 years ago now when, you know, literally you could go on Twitter and you could get a reply from Rihanna and, Stephen Fry, you could be in conversation with him, you know, back in like the really early days when it was like, you know, a really like deep corner of the internet where it's like, is this going to be a thing? Or, you know, is Twitter just another one of those Bebo MySpaces, which is going to come and go. And, you know, what, what I kind of did is built a community around my life as a student and kind of noticing things that you notice for the first time at university, like how expensive cheese is and all those kind of things that you're discovering for the first time when you're living alone. And that grew to 20,000 followers. So um, realized I had, you know, I kind of you, you learn you know you, you were in the content space game and the content game here so you learn by doing if you post 400 reels on on instagram your 400 is going to be better than you first it's just the nature of development so it took me like 400 tweets to get to 400 followers and i was like what am i doing here i'm spending all my time doing this but then certain things started to happen like the algorithms changed and they started to introduce pictures to, to, to twitter and realized that this was going to be um here to stay now, you know, users were growing uh, and it was this kind of real moment in time. That's when I met Steve, my co-founder. He was running a business called Wall Park, which is basically Gumtree for students. And it was marrying up the social media assets that I had and his kind of platform to kind of create something which was driving students to the website. Uh, and I remember the first time we did it, we pressed um, a link from Student Problems to Wall Park and 300 people went like that straight to the, straight to the website. And for us, that was like really impressive because, you know, we, Steve had never seen more than 20 people on the website at a time. So it was like to send that amount of traffic there in that moment, we realized that there was, that there was kind of something here. And the theory was the more social media assets we had, the more people we could send to the website. So I took it upon myself to build more and more social media assets, got a, a following of over 80,000, 80, 80 million, sorry, across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter through either acquiring channels um, with people who had them or, you know, starting them myself. And uh, that was how it was born. It was born in the sense of, you know, we know that social media is going to be here to stay. We know the young people are using it. And thankfully, you know, after doing it for two years, we could walk into a room and say, we actually are the experts when it comes to social media because this is what we've done. And that was the biggest part of it is because it was really um, authentic. You know, there's not many industries where you can be a credible source after two years and you can be you can actually, you know, claim to be the best at it. Um, you know, you imagine a doctor walking in after two years experience and be like, well, I'm the best at it now. Um, it just doesn't happen. So we were very thankful that it was kind of the timing of life and it was always going to be young people who could understand the social media landscape and sell it into big brands. So that's the role we played. And that was a, you know, as I said, scale that to, to many people across many countries doing a great number amount of revenue. Um, but those early days were fantastic because we were working with challenger brands who needed to um, do something different, you know, we needed, they needed to go against convention and we spent a lot of time working with the entrepreneurs themselves to help them with their product, make their business a bit more sticky, you know, give them a USB because if you shout about something and people don't like the product, then they're not going to go to it. So the really early stages, we were really spent in that consultative stage helping businesses develop. And as we scaled and we started to work with kind of big multinationals, 
you, you get further away from the work, but also you get further away from meaningful work. You know, you're working with a big FMCG brand who are in 200 on six countries and working with them in two markets, you're not going to make a big difference. So you've actually become a really good operator in terms of like, okay, we know how to run accounts, we know how to sell, we know how to execute, but the work lacks a little bit of purpose. So coming out of that and after exiting, I was like, I want to go back to those times when you can really sit there an entrepreneur, you know, you can, you can take an idea and execute it in a couple of days. You can have a meaningful impact on that business. And, you know, you can see this, the, the output that you have in terms of helping them. So um, that's kind of, my, you know, in, in the real nutshell of the kind of 360, my own experience in terms of, you know, what I loved was the early days of like, we've got these social media pages, we've got Wallpark. How the hell do we make this work? How do we hell do we make this interesting? And the first, you know, two years of our, our existence was working with small challenger businesses to try and make it um, a success. And then when we scaled, you know, as I say, you uh, you become a more of a, a marketing director's um, resource than you do actually anything else. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I kind of want to just look a little bit more into kind of when you were building Social Chain. Um, obviously, when it was you and Steve, it was great. You kind of counterable to each other. But as soon as you start bringing in, you know, more bodies to help you. Um, how did you kind of develop your your leadership style? Was there any kind of, was it just, you know, I, this is how I would like to be led? Um, because, you know, throwing a young person into a leadership position, you know, some sink, some swim, and clearly it went pretty well for you, so. No, completely not. I, I sank, massively sank. Like the first couple of years for me was so destructive. Like I had no idea how to manage people. I had no idea how to deliver bad news. I had no idea how to kind of like, you know give leadership give direction be honest you know it was all it was all far too much for me and it really really impacted me and I think that um that led me towards to my, my you know my drinking I, I kind of really used drink alcohol as medication there because I didn't know what, what I was doing I didn't know what I had to do I didn't know what the responsibility was of someone in, in, in a leadership position so it was really overwhelming and I definitely definitely sank um and that was that was so so clear um, and I knew I had to do something about it. You know, I remember when we hired our first person over 30, you know, I'm turning 30 now and I still feel ridiculously young. But I remember hiring our first person over 30 and I was 22 years old. I was like, how's this person going to respect me? Like, how do you get someone who's like, God, that much older than you? And, you know, ages, now you learn age is such a number, but then it's like a really big thing because it's like different generations. You're like, oh my God, we've got seen some senior staff coming in. You know, how do you get them inspired and respect you? And um, I went about it completely the wrong way, you know. My my entire my probably kind of entire basis of respect was being hooking down the pipe the fastest, and that was a you know it goes so far. But you know to really when you start going from that that scale up business to something more meaningful, you've got to be able to have more kind of tools in your arsenal as a as a, as a leader. And I didn't have that, and I was really struggling. So um, the sobriety was the kind of the biggest thing that helped me there because it gave me um, gave me purpose, but also it gave me a um, you know the confidence. It gives you all that kind of thing behind it. But also, it gives you something that people really respect. You know, me going from being someone who was really struggling with drinking, really struggling with management, to actually having clear head and actually being able to make decisions and execute against things they're saying and, and have the clarity in your mind of what you need to do was phenomenal. So um, I definitely, definitely sank. But then, you know, you've got to, as an entrepreneur, you've got to figure it out. You've got to figure out the business, but you also got to figure out yourself. And, you know, we talk a lot, I talk a lot about, you know, our entrepreneurs necessarily the best CEOs, you know, how do they fit into the roles of the business scales? You know, I was probably a, an entrepreneur who, when we first grew the company to 50 people, the company had grown me massively and I was probably hindering it rather than helping it. And I needed to do something about that. And that was kind of had to do in myself, had to do the development to be able to be someone who can grow the company. Uh, thankfully, you know, 
given the industry, I was always going to be very good at social media and I always knew social media and that was going to be what set me apart is because, you know, I had that respect in terms of the, in the industry, but not in, not in the business and not in how in a leadership position. So I had to earn that and I had to, 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 to basically completely change myself to be able to get that from the team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's kind of the negative side of youth, if you will, you know, not having that lived experience, <laughs> not knowing how to necessarily lead teams, but you know, some would argue that uh, starting a business at a young age is actually a good thing because if anything, you've got, you know, naivety on your on your side. Did, did you feel that that was your experience? Yeah. I mean, why would you get investment and put a slide in, in your office if you had experience? You wouldn't. So, you know, naivety takes you so far and it kind of allows you to build something in, in a vision which isn't isn't drained by other, other people's perspective and it was completely fresh. So 100% it helped us. It made us really stick out and be someone different. Um, and was a really good um, leg up, you know, but I think that naivety has to kind of at some point mature. And I think what we maybe experienced was that that period of, of naivety being a benefit and the need to mature just being so condensed with just rapid growth. And you're faced with no, no decision other than to, to, to be on the journey and change as quick as you can. And that, that, that in, in a lot of instances was a matter of months, you know, you had to go from being friends with every single one in the company and having that kind of social life to actually know you know, we have to have separation between those relationships and you actually then become quite isolated. And that happens so quickly, you know, and you find yourself at 23 years old, having to give up alcohol, having to kind of like remove yourself from work environments because of the professionalism. And then you find yourself quite isolated. So um, yeah, 100% of the naivety helps in the really early days. And I'd love to have had more time in that period where it was really beneficial being able to play in there. But you know, given given how fast things were scaling, we had to we had to make these difficult choices in ourselves to to to, to grow with the company rather than you know hang on the past. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, you you did sell Social Chain at the age of twenty seven, I believe. Um, you know, and obviously that, as we've already mentioned, that business you started with Stephen Bartlett. Um, but when you decided to go your separate ways after selling the company. Um, can you remember how you felt about that? Because, you know, the, the co-founder dynamic is very, you know, you, you reliance on each other's skills. There may be things that you were missing that he had and, you know, vice versa. Um, can you remember how you felt? Was Were you scared or were you kind of like, this is a new chapter, let's go? Uh, a bit of both. I think, you know, there was a huge part of kind of self-identity. Like, what are we after social training? You know, doing something from, from 19 years old to 27, that's your entire life, really. Because before that, you were in school and university. So you've got a huge piece of your identity, which is attached to this. So... I think the scary thing was leaving social chain and then going into the open world and being like, what am I going to be when I grow up? You know, each other, I think um, we all, we always had confidence that whatever we do next would be fine. We just didn't know what we'd done. You know, it wasn't kind of like a, you know, we didn't know. All we knew was that our lives in social chain and we didn't know where we fit into the outside world. So that was the most scary thing. And I think that took a lot of time to, to learn on. And I think I really, um, you know, when we were nine, when we when you start a business at nineteen years old, you, you know a lot less than you do at twenty seven. And I think as you go, the world develops and you see things differently. You have different ambitions. Um, and as I say, if you go back to eighteen year old Dom and tell him what, what he was going to do, he wouldn't be surprised. But that's how I was at nineteen. It was just take every single day at a time, and um, I'd never had to think about the future. I genuinely never had to think about the future. It was just social chain, and that was it. So when you have to come and then think about the future, you it's quite scary. So I remember asking myself, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up? And that, that was the difficult part. It's like, what am I? Who am I? Um, and you've got to do it by yourself. You, you've got to find out, you've got to answer those questions of what you want to do by yourself. So I did that. Um, and that was really, really, really powerful. I think um, it was the first time you get your head up um, for yourself and you think about, and you do a lot of kind of stuff. So 
Um, and I, we just knew as, as time gone on, you know, the way we viewed the world, the way we viewed business and the way we want, what we wanted to do next wasn't necessarily aligned and nor did it need to be because we've gone on this incredible journey together and um, we'd done some great stuff and it allowed us now to go after things we wanted to go after. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of those things that you you wanted to go after was um, you could, what, what you kind of developed into after that was um, starting Fearless Adventures. Could you just tell us about Fearless Adventures and, and kind of your mission that you're on? Yeah, exactly. So um, really came from the idea of like, as I said there, when we scale, when we scaled social chain, we started working with big FMCG businesses and big corporates. It was a case of, you know, you're so far away from the meaningful work that it doesn't really matter what you do. So you just become like, you know, running a great operation rather than actually doing work, which is meaningful. And I think um, I wanted to go back to that that really kind of early stage entrepreneur, you know, in the trenches, figuring things out where, you know, big, big, big differences can be made from really small things. Uh, and I wanted to share that knowledge. So um, knew I wanted to do that. Knew I didn't want to go back into service work. You know, services is, is a horrible industry. I, you know, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. Um, so I wanted to go into venture because I thought that was a much more um, better better way of working with someone because effectively, you know, we offer, we offer services to businesses we invest in. But that basically means that you've got clients that never leave you. And a lot of things that we were struggling with with businesses was the short-termism. You know, when we were working with big PLCs, it is short-term. You know, the churning, the churning agencies over every two years are expecting results immediately. And that's not how these things work. You know, if you expect results immediately, yes, the beautiful thing about social media is you can go viral overnight. Of course you can. You know, we see it every single day. But you can't, you can't recreate that. It, it, it is genuinely a fluke. You know, when that happens, it's just, who would have said, you know, okay, some corner shop in Wakefield is going to go viral because it sells Prime and the guy does a dance and sings a song. You can't, you can't just, you can't manifest that. So, um, yeah, I wanted to have a really long-term relationship. So what Fearless does now is invest in companies, but then also provide services across marketing, recruitment, tech, fulfillment, um, and training to help um, early-stage companies scale. No, that's brilliant. And, and as part of this venture, you've launched uh, the Fearless Academy, um, which is a fully funded course to make education free for anyone who doesn't have the means to be able to afford it. Why was this such an important um, part of the business that you wanted to, to start? Yeah, I mean, if you came to social chain when there's 20 people and you looked at everyone's CVs, no one, none of them would get, ever get hired, including me. You know, we were a bunch of misfits. We were a bunch of people who the best thing we could say on our CV at the time was we've grown our Instagram accounts to 50,000 followers and it's a, it's a Harry Potter account, for example, or a, a food page. And um, in, in any kind of walk of life, they would never have gotten a chance ever. Um, so it was always something that was really passionate for me because... I saw what happened when you put together great people, you brought together in a structure, you gave people an opportunity and you tried to build something. So um, what I think the barriers to entry there are at both sides, I think that young people who are very creative say that they've you know got an expertise in TikTok, can't find the jobs that people have got in TikTok. So they end up going to other areas like hospitality or retail, for example. But also on the other side, big businesses or businesses won't take risks on people who don't have experience. You know? How do you get that experience um, from someone who doesn't even know where to be in? So they end up determined to hiring people. You know, if you're looking for a TikTok videographer, do you hire someone who's got five years experience in video editing or do you hire an 18-year-old who does TikTok in their bedroom? You, you probably hire the guy with video experience because it's, he's got experience. So, you know, I saw that a lot across industry where people were making decisions which were safe and less risky and ultimately no one was there to vouch for either party to make sure that these 
young people found jobs. So um, we are that, we give people experience before they need to get experience kind of level. So uh, if someone wants to make a change from somewhere like McDonald's or retail or manufacturing into it digital, come to the academy, we'll teach you over 12 weeks, really some of the basics, but also we'll be able to get you a place in, in industry with companies that want to hire and take risk on people who are new into the, into the market. So it's one of those things where, you know, you marry up both sides and you can get really happy relationships. No, absolutely. It's it's such a great mission that you guys are on there and it's it's definitely one to watch in the future. Um, the other thing you did when you left uh, Social Chain was that you went to university for history. Why did you decide to go down this path? Uh, it's the soul searching piece a little bit. You know, I, I always had a passion for it and I think um, I, I did, I studied sport at university. I got a passion for sport. I love that. Um, and the first time I had time, a bit of time in my life, you know, I had a bit of time to go after and do something I wanted to. I'd always struggled, struggled with writing. Writing was something which I was very weak at. So I thought giving some time and doing a university course might be something which, which improves that. So um, we, you need to have hobbies in life. You know, people have passions and hobbies and mind's history. And um, I, I decided to go and explore that a little bit and see where it took me. Um, I could have gone and done a full degree in history if I wanted to. Could have, you know, it was Oxford. So I could have gone and done, did a full degree at Oxford. Um, which would be nice just to know I could have done that. And, and yeah, that's one of the things. It's, it's just um, a bit of time, a bit of thought, and, you know, you, you do things that you always wanted to do when you were too busy. And I think that's the one thing, you know, a lot of founders and people understand is that everything you want to do is going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen today because right now you're really busy. Um, and that was just one of the things for me where it was like, I'd like to try that. Um, so I did. You know, people, some people run marathons, they do Ironman, whatever. But that was mine. Yeah, I know. That's absolutely brilliant. And then again, kind of just coming back to your kind of style of leadership, um, you know, kind of doing the research, there were a couple of occasions where you kind of mentioned that you were a bit of a yes man and you kind of, you know, struggled with delegation a little bit when you were at Social Chain. Um, if there's a business leader now that's going through the same experience and kind of struggling with the same issues, what advice would you have for them? I mean, yes is the easy answer, isn't it? You know, you put your head in the sand and you say, yes, 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 that's fine. You know, you just want to, sometimes from my perspective, you just wanted to get rid of things you know you wanted to get it just done so um my, my advice would be you know you've got to think about the really difficult conversation you've got to think about um how you can actually get value and, and your responsibility leader isn't there to say yes to everyone it's actually to be the one that challenges everyone's thinking and that's why i always um didn't see is you know that i kind of let you know people walk all walk all over you know, walk all over me but kind of you know they dictate where things want to go but i did probably not have the confidence in myself to actually set the agenda and set the direction and challenge people because um, of being young and naive. So um, I think the big part of that is, yeah, you know, having confidence in what in your authority, having confidence in your vision, having confidence in what you're trying to set out. And in a lot of instances, that 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 is no, you know, that is no. This is what I think we should do, or no, you can't do that because this is the focus. And I had that discussion yesterday with someone. It's like, you know, we've got so much low hanging fruit in the business, like most businesses do, but we need to focus on the long term. And uh, if you start, you know taking short, trying to find a shortcut, take a shortcut, and you're actually never going to get to where you want to get to. And I think uh, that's the responsibility of leaders is to remind people of that and make sure that everyone's focusing on the big picture. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, again, kind of coming back to your, your early stage of your career, um, you know, you mentioned Wallpark a little bit uh, earlier on, but, you know, Wallpark was a venture that didn't quite work out. Essentially, it failed. Um, what was your mindset when you suffered that early uh, setback? Because failure is such an important part of being an entrepreneur. So I'm just interested to see, you know, at, at that young age, how you kind of handled that. Uh, exactly like, you know, I said about 18 years old onward, it just carried on. You know, it's one of those things where 
you don't dwell on it. And, you know, I was in a situation where I, I was having potentially looking at going back to university because it hadn't worked out, but it never bothered me. You know, I always was never bothered by failure. I think I was um, at school, I was a goalkeeper and played football in my life as a goalkeeper. And the number of mistakes you make, you, you know, I, I remember um, a mentor of mine telling me that confidence isn't about doing something. It's about doing something you just failed at and doing it better. Um, he was talking about coming out and catching crosses because I, I just dropped a cross. But he said that's where that's where real confidence comes from. It's being able to go out there and catch the ball again. Um, so that that really stuck with me. And I think yeah, um, that was something I always thought is that you know I think a beautiful thing of being, being failing failing at nineteen years old is that you haven't lost anything. And I think I say to founders now, you know, I never had to take the risks that some founders have to take when it comes to you know dropping out of a comfortable life and starting a business or, you know, moving cities or risking stuff. I never had to risk anything because when you're 19, you're actually out at the bottom. Um, you know, I was getting paid £500 a month. My rent was 300 quid. I lived off eating whatever I could. And I had nowhere. I couldn't go backwards, really. So I could only go forward. So I think that was very comforting um, at 19 years old to, to fail that young because um, you just carry on going. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I like the, um, you know, kind of almost water for ducks back approach that you've got. But, you know, clearly there's been some ups and downs in your career. I mean, what would you say was the most significant challenge you faced? Drink, drinking, 100%. Yeah. It, it, you know, that, 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 that is, that is about that. And that. You know, obviously now we're talking about everything in retrospect. You know, in the moment, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more, a bit more scrambling, a little bit more like, oh, yeah, well, this has got to work out or I've got to do something. But, you know, when you learn to look back on things and reflect, you actually do realize that you, relatively you were quite calm. Um, but there are times when you have to have peaks and troughs, uh, but that ultimately was a driver to make it more successful because, you know, you have to, you have to, um, you don't want to go backwards to university. I don't want to, you know, some of the comments people have said to you kind of do stick with you. Um, but the biggest challenge was drinking. It was, it was, it was overcoming something um, which, which was just, you know, so ingrained in culture, you know, I remember being told at 23 that I need to stop drinking um, and have been generally thinking, what am I going to do? What do I do with your life? You know, what does, what can, what can you do? And um, yeah, that, that, that is it. And um, the horrible thing about alcohol is, is that it's one of those um, diseases and one of those problems where you get, you've got to go through so many layers of like, what I call like, you know, like glass ceilings. You got to go through like so many glass floors where you fall and you fall and you do other things and you, you make situations worth you until you hit a genuine rock bottom where you can't fall any further, be it because you're broken or because, you know, whatever. And then you've got to just start building building your way back up. And, you know, the great thing is that you, you can, because the glass ceilings above you now are already smashed, it's much easier to climb up than it is to go down. Uh, and you can only go up, really. So um, that that was massive. That was massive for me. And I think um, it was the hard, hardest part of my life. And uh, a lot of people, when they talk about overcoming addictions and problems, they, um, you know, the first thing they say is they got to remember, get away from the stimulus and the problems that cause them, you know, and the problems that were causing my alcohol were things like cash flow, people problems, you know, complete imposter syndrome and what's going on in the company. And I didn't have a choice to leave those problems away. I had to go, I had, you know, put on my big boy pants and go and face them Monday morning. And um, it, it worked two ways because, yes, it was the problems, but also it was the purpose to get through it. Um, so, you know, you replace... You replace the thing that's causing you pain and you turn that into your purpose and then actually you're actually quite a powerful individual because 
um, you're not you're, you're not scared about what you face anymore because it's already done its damage to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, alcohol is obviously something that many many people outside of business too use to kind of you know deal with their stress. And you know, obviously being an entrepreneur and kind of growing a company like you were at that time, how did you kind of manage the stress um, once you'd taken alcohol out of it? Was it uh, something that you had to put like a lot of effort into as far as kind of managing that? And and, and what kind of tips would you have with people going through the same experience? Yeah, I think you know alcohol is um, it's it's not a it's not a way of managing stress. It's a way of medicating stress. So it just numbs you. It really just you know helps you forget. So you know at first I wasn't I wasn't managing it. I was literally avoiding it. I was hiding it. I buried my head in the sand. I was saying yes to too many things, and I was just like, oh my god. So um, yeah, and then ultimately that that leads you to drink. And what 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 was happening? You were having so many highlights with things like you know winning big contracts and celebrating opening new offices in different countries and things were flying. And then you had so many downtimes when things were very difficult. And the thing about the upsides, yeah, when you're going out partying and drinking, you're not going to go and win another contract because you're drunk. You know, it's just that is the high, that is the ceiling. But when you're drinking and you're in a downer, you can create more problems for yourself. You know, you, you don't create any benefits from drinking. You know, it's not like, oh, because you're drunk, suddenly you have one Amazon, Spotify going to turn up. It doesn't work like that. But when you drink and you, you're in a bad place and you, you know, some, you've got a stressful day and then you, you might text someone or you might create another problem. And these problems, you, that's why it's called a downward spiral because you can only go one way. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it, that, that, that was it. And then when you get out, out of the alcohol, you know, part of the entire alcohol is, is rethinking, rethinking your kind of stimulus response. You know, these stimuluses still happen. You just got to respond different. You know, you've got to actually respond to them. You can't just avoid them. You can't forget them. You've actually got to deal with them. So the way I dealt with stress after that was, you know, probably becoming really a high, high function individual where it's like, okay, I need to get all these things done. And then I can go home and relax. And that relaxing isn't drinking. It's just knowing that things are done and that I've got not, not got these anxieties anymore. So it was a really contrasting um, shift where, you know, to get myself well and to remove my anxieties, I had to deal with my problems. And that, is, that was what happened. And then, you know, the company went for a real pur purple patch after that. And I think it was a case of, yeah, things were just getting done then. And instead of, you know, leaving it, leaving it having a drink at the office with friends at four and, um, then going home and drinking some more and avoiding the problems, I just started to deal with them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, kind of sticking on that purple patch that you had with Social Chain, I mean, when you think about kind of the time in history that you and Steve started this venture, it was almost the perfect time where, like you said, like there weren't too many social media professionals as, as per se. Um, you know, you guys definitely kind of smashed that market at the perfect time. You know, if if it was ten years before, and you know, you were you were that age, do you feel like your entrepreneurial spirit would have put you in through kind of in a different venture, or do you think it was a, a case of making the most of the right place, right time? Uh, I think university is beautiful because university is the one time in life where someone's paying to, paying to do nothing. So you know, would I have got bored at university ten years ago and figured and found myself doing something else? Probably would have, yeah. You know, I had so much time, energy, trying stuff, you know. So I probably would have um, done something else. So, yeah, that definitely, definitely do think it. But like you say, social media, we were perfectly well-timed. We were in a situation where this thing was new. It was scaling. Um, it needed young people who understood it to be able to translate it to traditional marketing. So, yeah, timing, timing these things is everything. You know, two years earlier, would it work? No, two years later, too late. So, um being in the right place at the right time in business is, is so important. And I think that's something we got very fortunate. And then, you know, you ride, you're pushing, you're pushing on open doors and you're riding waves in a way where, you know, 
people want social media, the market's naturally growing. You know, if you look at the, the data from 2013 to 2018 in terms of how much spend went into from social media, you know, of course, any business that was in that place at that time was going to grow quickly because the market was rapid. So, of course, yeah, it, you know, timing is a huge part of it. Um, yeah, 10 years ago, if I'm at university now, what am I doing if I'm at university right now? I'm literally spending my time figuring out where the next frontier is. Um, I'm definitely not spending my time trying to build a student problems Twitter account. Um, I'm probably doing something a little bit different. But of course, you know, the energy is there and the opportunity is there. And I think what we've seen with the internet is maybe that the opportunities are uh, becoming more, more common for people and that access to information is much, much quicker. And I think we were probably the last generation of people who were still, um, you know, pre, pre-connectivity really, you know, genuine real connectivity of like, I can tweet someone in San Francisco and they will apply to me. I think we're now much more connected. So there's much, there's much more opportunity than even when I was at university. Yeah, no, absolutely. And another thing you've done, which again, just add to your impressive CV was uh, you've done some work with the government, um, you know, helping with its social media strategy. How did this experience, uh, you know, what was it like and how did it come about? Um, again, so I left leaving social media, had a period of kind of like, you know, non-compete. So I couldn't go back into the industry. I couldn't do, couldn't work for, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. So um, again, an area I was interested in, I think during COVID, politics had a real light shine on it. And I think we're seeing that at the moment with some of the stuff that's coming out. But there was generally was a message um, in the about social media, about being um, really passionate. So for me, yeah, I was kind of really interested in, um, really interested in, in that. So yeah, ran towards it, did some advisory work, knew some people in governments. So that was really interesting. And yeah, that was, that was um, something I wanted to do. Was it quite enlightening as far as, you know, the, the experience goes? Was there anything you kind of learned that you were kind of shocked about or anything you were like, oh, actually, they, they're doing this pretty well? No, nothing. Yeah. I, I completely understand. Yeah, <laughs> we'll move on. Um, so obviously, you know, with, with your current venture and kind of the, on the VC side of things, you know, fundraising is something that's so important to all of our, you know, audience. Um, so, you know, what what tips would you have for, you know, kind of entrepreneurs going through the, the fundraising process, especially in a quite turbulent, uh, you know, financial uh, uh, climate we find ourselves in? Uh, it's, you know, the climate we find ourselves in is not, is not that's where opportunities come from. You know, it's, it's a difficult one to look at because if you, right now you don't want to be big, you know, you don't want to be highly leveraged with debt. You want to be small. So, you know, right now, I think it's a perfect time for opportunities to come. And, uh, you know, we didn't raise money for the first two years. We figured out something. We, we kind of really focused on it. And that was, that was what, that, what we did. So I think uh, my advice now is focus on value. You know, yes, we live in a world where you get a Series A. It doesn't mean you're going to get your Series B or your Series C. You're not going to go take it through that process as quick as possible. Um, you actually have to deliver. <laughs> it sounds crazy. You know, you're not, your success isn't determined by how much money you raise, which previously might have been the case. Um, and we hadn't, we're not in a situation with tons of capital flowing into the market. But if you've got a good, valuable business and you've got a sustainable business that is generating good cash flow and profit, you'll always find options. So I focus on those back basic principles. You know, at Fearless, we're trying to back profitable companies. Simple as that. You know, if you can build a profitable company, you don't have to depend on raising external capital to fund yourself. Obviously, every business model is different, but you can build something even more powerful in a year's time to go out there to the market and be like, actually, we figured out profitability in this tech space. This is how we're scaling. And I've got some great friends who've done that. You know, they run a business called Fever. If you've seen that, it's uh, one of the Spanish unicorns. Um, they were a social chain client, came for us really early 2015. 
Um, and then they just went away slowly built and then they did their first round, which was 110 million from Goldman Sachs because they figured out profitability. So let's not confuse, let's not confuse, um, you know, raising money with success, but, you know, it makes it much easier to raise money if you've got a fundamental model, which works. And I think maybe we've been speculating too much in the, in the VC market. And I'm sure you've had plenty of people coming to you looking for that kind of raising funds. Have you ever just said to someone, look, if I were you, I just wouldn't even bother. Like you've got a good yes. thing going, like don't bother. Yes. But don't bother raising money. I don't bother the business. Don't, no, don't, don't bother raising money. I don't bother. <laughs> I, uh, I saw, yeah. Yeah, I saw a business who spent 80,000 during an 8K revenue. I was like, nah, <laughs> give up. Yeah, no, <laughs> the model, absolutely. The model's not there. It was a um, subscription uh, fragrance shop. I was like, nah, modern market's not there for you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, if I raise a million, I can get 100K revenue and then, then the subscription. It's like, nah. Yeah. Nah, it's, not, it's easy to get your first date than it is to get your next 100. Um, yeah. So have I seen people, yeah, have I told people not to raise money? Uh, look, there's, there's reasons why you may raise money. Look, you, you can throw fuel to the fire and continue to accelerate things quicker. If you've got a model which works, that does work. You know, um, you've got to ask yourself the question, is, debt, is equity cheaper than debt or is debt cheaper than equity? If you can handle cash, then you might as well look at a debt option because, yeah, 7%, whatever, 8% fees is highly expensive, but it's probably cheaper than giving away your equity. But then you've got to ask yourself, why am I raising money? Do I want people around me that are going to help me? Then... It's a very different conversation and looking for strategic partners is very different than just taking cash. So um, that's what you draw on that situation is why do you want money? Why do you need the money? And um, if the question is support, strategic advice, these four, four reasons why I think we're a good partner, then it's very different than, you know, oh, you give me another five million, I'll do this. It's like, no, just go and get five million elsewhere because you can do it because you've proven already. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's time for a, a really special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Center to bring you the good news postcard. Your question today comes from Kieran, aged 14. Hi, I'm Kieran from the Jill Dando News team based in World Community School. And I would like to ask what the defining moment of your company was. That's a very good question, Kieran. Um, there's, there's, there's two moments that really stick out for like defining moments. Um, the first one being and I remember the date, it was 2nd of June, uh, 2015. And we had like, we just delivered um, projects for Universal McCann, 20th Century Fox, Comedy Central, some of the big brands. And all three of them like paid on one day. And we were like, oh my goodness, this is like, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy amounts. Uh, and I remember where I was, I was in our office in Hammersmith. I was jumping around celebrating like, this is incredible. Um, so that was one one day that was a real defining moment and I think the other one was uh, again another project which we delivered which again stretched our capabilities but it was the first time we really moved into like proper like strategic um, execution of a campaign and idea we, we, we created for Coca-Cola so the idea was basically how do we get more um, millennials at the time you know that's how long ago it was Gen Z millennials drinking Coke, Diet Coke uh, because Diet Coke drinks had declined um, and then we put a strategic proposal to them and they said, yeah, we're going to do this. Um, and that was just like a complete elevation of our work where we went from being kind of a delivery partner to actually being a strategic partner. And that was a, a big step up for us. That is a brilliant question and a fantastic answer. So thank you so much for that, Tom. Um, and obviously we are business leader. So what would you say makes a great business leader? Um, humility and resilience. Simple as that. Short and sweet. I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And do you have any uh, final words for our audience today? No, I just thank you for having me on. It's always 
a real pleasure to, to, to appreciate that people actually want to sit and listen to this story. So, um, no, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. It's been very, very useful. Kieran asked a great question. Um, and just thank you. No, thank you so much for your time. Again, your honesty, especially around your sobriety and, and you know, kind of being very, very open with us is uh, is greatly appreciated. And, you know, if people wanted to follow your journey, um, how would they follow you uh, on social media, et cetera? Yeah, so uh, Twitter, at Dominic McGregor, Instagram, at DPJ McGregor, or LinkedIn. So I, uh, I check my messages most, most weeks. So if everyone ever dropped me a message, I'm always keen to respond as well.